The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 19th chapter. When Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Picture, if you can, Friday, November 4th, 2016, when an enormous number of people gathered in Chicago for the Cubs' victory rally. It turns out that figuring crowd sizes is pretty difficult, but by one estimate of five million bodies, this was the seventh largest human gathering in history couple of places above a Rod Stewart concert in Brazil and just below World Youth Day 1995 in the Philippines. The number of people, though, isn't nearly as interesting to me as the level of energy. I'm sure you can picture it even if you weren't there, as I wasn't, but imagine the fanfare and the cheering and the shouting and the music and the flat-out noise, all of which must have been deafening. It's a large-scale version of what you could experience on a smaller scale at any high school basketball game between rivals. Picture yourself in the gym just after a close last-minute victory. The level of excitement is what I would like you to imagine. It's the kind of excitement that can prompt folks, at least the kind of folks who live in Philadelphia, to flip cars and climb greased light poles. It's the kind of excitement that sweeps you away, the kind of excitement that you can feel in the air. But here's the question for you. At those celebrations in downtown Chicago or downtown Philadelphia or in high school gyms anywhere, if the people don't cheer the victory, would the cars and buildings and bleachers and trees and wildlife have cried out. These momentous occasions that prompt such enthusiasm, does creation care about them? Now picture our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. 
A crowd forms to welcome him, having heard of all the wonderful things that he's done, having seen his miracles, and they begin to rejoice and praise God with loud voices, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I don't know how that looks in your mind's eye, but let this help to shape the picture. If the people hadn't rejoiced, and praised God with loud voices, then even the stones would have cried out. This moment, Jesus entering Jerusalem to fulfill his Father's will, to suffer and die at the hands of an angry crowd and corrupt rulers. This moment where Jesus comes to suffer and die to free his enemies from suffering and death, to give life to those who killed him, to give life eternal to you. This moment is such a meaningful moment, not just for the multitudes who cheered, but for all of creation. It's such a meaningful moment that if the people had not raised their voices, then the rest of creation, even the stones, would have broken into song. Why? You might say that it's because creation had heard the words that God's people so often fail to hear. The word of God that we heard from the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Creation, which on account of sin has suffered slavery to decay, Creation which was deprived of its glory in the Garden of Eden. Creation itself has been eagerly waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. It's been eagerly waiting for these coming days, for the restoration of justice and righteousness. And this moment, Jesus entering Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, this is the preamble to his enthronement as the King of Glory, the Son of David, who would save Judah and make Jerusalem to dwell securely, who would reign as the Lord our righteousness. Now, if creation is so charged with anticipation that the stones would have shouted, even as the king just drew near to his throne, you won't be surprised at the way creation reacts when Jesus finally is enthroned for all the world to see. That happens on Good Friday when Jesus is lifted up on the cross and he cries out with a loud voice and he gives up his spirit. And the curtain of the temple is torn in two and the earth shakes and the rocks are split and the graves are opened and the dead are raised. That moment that creation had been waiting for finally arrives in the crucifixion and creation could not keep silent. Those coming days that Jeremiah had promised had now begun. This is what you should keep in mind as we make our way through Advent. In Advent, we are waiting, but we are not just waiting for a holiday or a big gathering or a festive celebration. We're waiting for something that was so long in coming, much longer than Philly waited for a Super Bowl, much longer than you waited for a Cubs World Series. We are waiting for something that is so big and so important and so world-changing that if we don't celebrate, 
the mountains and the hills and the trees would be compelled to. We are waiting not just for the birth of a baby, but for the arrival of our last and only hope. If you know anything about the world, you know that it is desperate for hope. And if you look carefully, you can see how desperately the world clings to false hope. Especially the hope that tells you we're going to get better all on our own. That we can solve injustice and unrighteousness. That we can stop hurting one another. That we can stop being hurt. That we can make peace. That we can be innocent. Our capacity for clinging to such false hope is really quite amazing. It's just like the people of Israel to whom Jeremiah was preaching. They had made a mess of everything, just as we do. And God promised to be their God and they his people. He asked them to love him and to love one another, but instead they only loved themselves. And they listened to false prophets, and they worshipped false gods, and they believed false hope, and they filled their land with injustice and unrighteousness. And so God sent the Babylonians to carry them off into exile, to destroy Jerusalem and the temple, to discipline his children and call them back. But more importantly then, he sent Jeremiah to preach to them promises of salvation, to call for them to trust in God and the hope of a future in him, not a hope of their own making, not a hope in themselves, but a future in him. But even then, Israel preferred the false hopes of the false prophets. They preferred not to hear about their injustice and their unrighteousness. They preferred to hear that they were going to get better all on their own, and so all but a few ignored Jeremiah and ignored the promises. And one day they discovered that all their hopes had been false. This Advent season and every Advent season, we mark time in the same world into which Jeremiah was preaching, a world that loves false hope. We mark this time ritually as a habit, as a discipline, so that we can again and again hear God's promises, so that we can hear about true hope and wait for his deliverance. The only cure for our sin, the only cure for our injustice and unrighteousness, our lovelessness and our guilt, the only cure is Jesus' cleansing sacrifice. Jesus, who is the King, greeted by creation as the one long expected. Jesus, the King, enthroned on a cross to pay the price of redemption, to die the death that we deserve. My prayer for you is that, along with all of creation, you would find true hope and eternal joy as we anticipate the birth of Jesus as we celebrate his death and resurrection, and as we eagerly await that yet coming day in which he will return in glory and establish his kingdom for you in perfect justice and righteousness. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.